Hello, everybody. This is Vikram Srinivasan, and welcome back to the second episode of Medical Talk. Again, this podcast is mainly a tool to be used by any high schoolers who are looking into going into any pre-med colleges. Our second guest today is known as Dr. Sid Agarwal. So, hello, yeah. Why don't, why don't you talk about yourself and what you do? Uh, hi, hi, everyone. Uh, Dr. Agarwal here. So, I am uh, double board certified in interventional nephrology and vascular medicine. So, my job mainly is to take care of uh, patients with uh, severe vascular disease, and that basically includes patients who are on dialysis access, who have severe leg pain because of peripheral arterial disease, also if they have uh, leg pain because of varicose veins, also patients who get stroke because of carotid uh, arterial disease, um, and also patients with uh, abdominal aortic aneurysm. So pretty much everything related to vascular medicine and uh, dialysis access. Well, yeah, that must be a very, very demanding profession, and what you do must benefit a lot of people, including you. And so I just want to know what made you choose that career? Yeah, basically, uh, uh, I come from a line of physicians. My grandfather was a physician. Uh, my dad is a, is a surgeon, and uh, basically, this is the only thing. Uh, I knew that uh, I would do. Uh, so it's basically inception, you know, right? When I was a kid, I knew the only thing I was good at or I wanted to do was to treat uh, sick people. And uh, I used to actually sit with my dad in his clinic and uh, I used to watch him uh, interact with patients. And uh, I kind of realized at a very young age how immensely gratifying it is to treat uh, uh, sick uh, patients. Yeah, it's viewed as a very noble profession and what people do, and it's one of the biggest professions in the world. And so more about what you do with a vascular surgeon. So can you kind of explain what they do and what they look for? So basically, uh, as a vascular specialist, uh, one of my jobs is to keep the veins and the arteries of the uh, body healthy. Now, mind, mind you, we do not take care of heart. That is the job of cardiologists and cardiothoracic surgeons. So it's actually very confusing for a lot of patients because the, they think vascular means like heart attacks and all that stuff. But that's obviously dealt with by cardiologists, by my colleagues. Um, we like to call ourselves dealing with the blood vessels of the periphery, meaning non-heart. So that would mean the blood vessels uh, supplying the brain, the blood vessels going into the arm, blood vessels in your uh, abdomen, uh, and blood vessels in in your legs. So basically, we take care of blood vessels. Um, So you can call us as uh, basically plumbers, you know, like we, we take care of the plumbing of the human body. Yeah, and it must be a lot of technology and a lot of like practice used to be able to kind of observe the uh, veins and arteries and kind of know what to do with them and how to approach each problem. And I've seen people use stuff like IVIS. And I just, what do you think about all the technology that's evolved so far to actually help us look inside artery veins and observe problems? So one of the things that makes vascular medicine such a uh, such an exciting uh, uh, profession is that you get to use a lot of gadgets whether it is using balloon angioplasties for taking care of narrowing in the blood vessels, or as you mentioned, doing IVUS, which stands for intravascular ultrasound. So basically, now the technique is you can actually do an ultrasound inside the blood vessel 
and see what pathology is going on, where the area of narrowing is. Also, obviously, doing the ultrasounds uh, on top of the skin, which is uh, like which has been going on for decades. Also, new stuff like stents, uh, stents that keep the vessels open. Also, uh, you know, newer techniques of uh, debulking uh, the calcium score or the high calcium or atherosclerosis that happens in the blood vessels. So a lot of new techniques are there and they keep evolving uh, almost every year. And uh, even though it is a challenge to keep up with the newer technology, uh, that's what makes it so much fun too, because it's like video games. You get to play with uh, you know, the, the best, uh, the latest and the greatest. Yeah, and I do know like when I've seen ultrasounds, they give you those black and white images and you have to be very precise and very knowledgeable on how to understand them. So there is a lot of skill still involved with using each gadget and you need to be very careful while looking into them. And that's also what kind of makes this field very different. And what else makes this different from other practices and other med uh, routes? Yeah, so basically every uh, every uh, speciality in medicine is unique. And it is only when you enter medical school, you realize that there are probably hundreds of, you know, subspecialities that uh, one can become an expert on. Uh, the cool thing about vascular medicine is that I feel that because of the high prevalence of diabetes and obesity that's along with hypertension uh, that's rampant in our society uh, vascular medicine is is almost ubiquitous like everyone has some level of vascular disease and to be able to help patients and to treat that is uh, is something which i feel especially from a procedure point of view or a surgery point of view and you can take care of patients right then and there uh, is, is what makes it very unique. Uh, although other specialities like medicine or, uh, you know, gastroenterology, cardiology and other stuff, they, they have their own, uh, you know, they, they have unique set of perspectives that they bring to the human body. But vascular medicine is so unique that it's, it's so generalized, but at the same time, uh, it's very unique that you can uh, pretty much promote a lot of, uh, caring of the blood vessels, which gives immediate relief to the patients. For example, if a patient has peripheral arterial disease because of blockage of the arteries to the legs, and you do a pretty simple procedure, which lasts for like an hour or so, right after that, the patient can have uh, total relief from pain. And that's what makes it so immensely uh, gratifying that you, you can actually help patients uh, right then and there instead of waiting for a long time. Right. And you say you avoid the heart. So do you feel like there's a lot of risk when it comes to these operations? Uh, I beg your pardon. I, I, what, what was your question once again? Uh, do you feel like there's a lot of risk when it comes to these operations for a patient's standpoint? Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, as they say, you know, high risk, high rewards. So obviously, these are immensely uh, risky procedures. And uh, unfortunately, things go south too, and that's where having clear communication with the patient, their expectations is the key here. And that's why this speciality you have to, especially in this speciality, you have to have a very uh, clear line of communication with the patient and their families because uh, sometimes, you know, unfortunate things do happen on the operating table and you have to learn to not only live with it, but, you know, uh, 
keep keep uh, working on yourself to make things better for the community you know learning new skills and trying to find out what went wrong yeah and most of those times i do feel like they are infection related and that's what a lot of people have to be aware of and that's why you need a good clinic that keeps all their materials clean otherwise infection is very high risk right exactly exactly that's that's a very key point that you just mentioned because every surgery that we do involves a break in the skin and uh, there are a lot of uh, areas where things can go wrong infection wise uh, which can be intra or post op and uh, somehow you know like uh, it's it's out of our control sometimes and sometimes it's not but yeah i agree infection is one of the biggest challenges we have uh, for any uh, vascular procedure right so i feel like with any profession especially surgeons it's the job doesn't just rely on the surgeon standpoint but it's mainly between both the patients and the surgeons because they both have to put in their efforts in order for the job to be successful yeah it, it's definitely a collaborative effort and uh, if uh, if the patients uh, uh, you know it's like i said very important to have a clear line of communication with the patient what what they expect of us and what we expect of them and it has to be uh, in a very respectful way that uh, both the parties understand what what the results can or cannot be yeah and like you said or like we we're saying it is a huge responsibility since it is patients and you are breaking skin and there are risks involved so how do you manage with all the stress that comes with having a responsibility with someone's health so basically mental stress uh, in order to handle mental stress uh, you must have a physical body that's capable of handling the mental stress so one of my most favorite things uh, is basically to work out and i have a small home gym in my garage and uh, sometimes you know around 11 o'clock at night where when my kids are asleep um, that's my that's me time that's my time and i will uh, hop on the treadmill and uh, put on some you know some videos uh, uh, and uh, or put on some you know electronic dance music or something like that and just work out for uh, half an hour to one hour every day and uh, that helps me to uh, you know to keep, to keep a lot of the stress out of uh, and kind of just enjoy uh, the moment you know Uh, so yeah i do feel like that's something uh, something that a lot of people neglect they don't seem to realize that the mind is part of your body at the end of the day and physical work is what strengthens your body many people think that they don't need to exercise they don't need to work on their body because their mind is a separate entity in some sorts and on top of that that's also what you see with a lot of mental health cases where it also has physical symptoms and yeah many people need to realize that like like you said the best way to deal with mental stress may also be just taking care of your own health physically exactly yeah yeah mental mental health and physical health are basically to me uh, so closely intertwined that you know they are like two faces of the same coin and if you deface one coin one face of the coin the coin becomes uh, pretty much worthless so one has to take care of mental as well as physical health and it has to be done in concurrence not in isolation right and along with uh, the mental stress aspect what are some other challenges that someone might expect to face in this field so basically uh, one of the biggest uh, challenges uh, that we feel is uh, it's the guilt factor that 
the time that you have to sometimes spend time away from your family, from your loved and dear ones, when you're doing calls on, you know, weekends and on holidays, that the time that you have to sacrifice where you want to be with your loved ones, but, you know, you have to instead make a hard choice to be with the patients. So to me, that's at my stage of my career, that's one of the most challenging things, but you learn to live with it. Right. And you do feel like surgeons have the biggest responsibility when it comes to managing time with family and professional work. Cause yeah, the reason is because we don't have bankers hours, right? Uh, like if we do a surgery, when we go into a surgery, we don't know if it's going to be an hour surgery or if it's going to last for four hours. And, uh, and you know, God forbid, if there's a complication, then you have to deal with it for the rest of the day, cancel your clinic patients. And so it's kind of like an unpredictable uh you know, speciality, but that's what makes it fun too. Yeah. And that's just gets me wondering, because this is something I think I may have noticed is that when people think of surgeons, they only think of the surgery aspect. Do surgeons usually have a lot of like desk jobs where they have to sit around and do a lot of filing and stuff? Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, with the with the way the medicine is, uh, you have to, you have to documentation is pretty much the key here, because uh, as you know, as you already know, surgeons uh, get sued a lot for poor outcomes uh, and uh, and if you don't have proper documentation uh, that can really create a lot of trouble so uh, uh, unfortunately we do spend a lot of time on the desk documenting our notes uh, but a lot of it is actually sometimes for patient care too so uh, i think it's 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 important but uh, the way the medicine is the trend is shifting uh, documentation is definitely the key. Um, and uh, you bring up a good point about, you know, when somebody thinks of surgeons that they pretty much spend 24-7 in the OR, um, surgeons on average uh, nationwide spend just 10 to 20% of their time, clinical time in the OR, in the operating room. The rest is actually seeing patients in the clinic or, uh, you know, literally uh, sometimes sitting on your desk and completing the notes. But, uh, it's not just being in the OR uh, the whole time. You uh, it's, uh, you have to build up that rapport with the patients, and OR is probably the worst time to do that. You know, a lot of the hand holding happens in the clinic, so that's where we spend a lot of our times, where we try to explain to the patients what's the risk and the consequences of what we are going to do to them. And sometimes surgery is not the best option. You know, medical treatments are also advanced, and that's the other misnomer. People think that. If you go to a surgeon, you automatically will end up getting a surgery. But uh, uh, med medicine has advanced so much with the, especially like ACE, ACE inhibitors and ARBs for high blood pressure and the newer drug treatments for diabetes that a lot of our patients don't even need surgery. They need good medical management. And as vascular specialists, uh, uh, we do that a lot too. So uh, it's not just surgery in the OR, we end up doing a lot of uh, medical uh, advice and, you know, medical consultations in our office and hospital too. Yeah, and I, touching back on what you said earlier, I, a lot of the journey is also for you guys and the patients is the post-op uh, checkups because the journey doesn't end right after you get the surgery. There's still some work to be put in, right? Yes, yes, yes. Post-op uh, post care is very important and uh, it's such a team effort that for post-op, we rely a lot on our nurses and uh, nurses, nursing is the key pretty much in my mind, it's, it's all the years of experience that I have. 
Um, there's not much a doctor can do post-op. It's a lot of it is uh, nursing, and uh, if you're in a good hospital with you know with good nursing care, your outcomes are certifiably going to be a lot better. Uh, so it's it's kind of like a team effort, you know, like a collaborative team effort. Um, I don't think in this speciality anyone can do uh, everything on their own. Right. And this this question kind of touches back to maybe your med school days, but do you remember a particular incident during med school or residency that you would like to share? Oh yeah, basically, uh, I remember uh, my uh, my first day uh, on call when I was an intern. I think I was just into internship for like a week or so, and I was on night call, and it was a pretty brutal call with with you know. So I was doing a CPR. Uh, cardiopulmonary resuscitation and they basically make the intern uh, do the chest compressions. So this was at Beaumont and uh, um, so basically uh, uh, I was doing chest compressions there and uh, my scrub pants fell off doing chest compressions. So, so I was actually doing chest compressions in my underwear and uh, but I kept going. I kept doing it and uh, I'm sure uh, I was literally the butt of a lot of the jokes. But uh, next day, uh, they have, they awarded me the most uh, focused intern of the month. So I guess it was all worth it. And uh, thankfully, the patients survived too. So it was all worth it. So <laughs> Yeah, and that incident was kind of on the funnier side. But like, can you explain to someone what would happen if you're one of the main surgeons and you're performing an operation, you blank out. Because I feel like that's one of the major fears for a lot of high schoolers going into medicine. What if they blank out? No, I mean, I really think uh, most surgeons that I know don't really blank out. Uh, that's why you got to get the years of training. I personally don't blank out. Uh, but but the key is uh, not to have a God complex. Uh, uh, sometimes you just can't do everything and if you need the help of your colleagues your uh, team members you know feel free to seek it you know i think a lot of the blanking out sort of comes where uh, a surgeon tries to do everything himself uh, and i think uh, sometimes you just can't do everything yourself and if you can get uh, your colleagues to assist you or if you have to you know uh, have a CT surgeon assist you in opening the chest, so be it. But seek help. Even sometimes good technicians and good scrub techs uh, with their years of experience have some good advice for you. And it would be worthwhile to take uh, that advice uh, from all your team members and not have a guard complex, you know, like that you can do pretty much everything. Yeah, and I remember. I think humility is the key too. Yeah. We really don't know everything, but you know, as a team, when we when we work, we can do real wonders. Yeah, and I remember you saying that after, during each checkup, you'd always go and back with one of your colleagues and just get their opinions on it. And like you said, you don't want that god complex. You always want to be open to other interpretations. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think it's only about fair, right? I mean, if you encounter an, uh, a, a critical issue, uh, you want to seek a second opinion make sure you're on the right path and be open to other ideas. And I think that's where your question about freezing out happens, that what if you're having a complication, you know, like uh, um, try to seek advice, try to seek help. Even in the clinic, you encounter a tough situation. Um, you know what to do, but, you know, there's no, uh, uh, there's no lack of, like, you know, one should have humility in, in trying to seek 
uh, as long as your focus remains that you want to do what is best for your patient, um, you remain humble. Right. Yeah. So, and also this goes on to uh, another topic. So based on your colleagues who you worked with, uh, what you notice in the difference between work styles and attitude? Because I remember you saying that you know a bunch of neuro, uh, neurologists and that they have to be a lot more aggressive and a lot like, uh, what's the correct term? Okay, so I'll cut, I'll cut what I just said out, said mama, because I didn't want to say neurologists go, are like crazy with uh, what they notice or whatever. Um, okay, so going starting one, two, three. Based on the colleagues you've worked with, what do you notice about the difference in work styles and attitude between different careers? Uh, between different careers, meaning how? Uh, like, let's say you said that someone would work on the heart, but you wouldn't. Like, just different career options inside medicine and not just you know, neuro, uh, vascular surgeons. So, uh, I'm sorry, I didn't follow your question. Can you, can you repeat that? Oh, so you said you've worked with colleagues and some of your colleagues have worked on the heart where you don't work on the heart. You focus mainly on what you said, peripheral, like uh, arteries and uh, veins. So like, what do you notice is the difference between these different areas in surgery? No, basically, surgery is, is a very, uh, like, you know, surgery pretty much involves uh, doing something invasive. And over the years, we all have our own set of skills and uh, we all are good at something. And, um, you know, it's good to be jack of all trades and master of something. And, you know, you, you can't be master of everything. And that's where uh, seeking uh, help from your colleagues comes in. But I think all of us pretty much uh, want to do what's best for the patient. And that's where the team effort comes in. Right. And what would you say is like the difference between someone who wanted to go into surgery, uh, being a surgeon or someone who wants to work more on a non-invasive field? Like, what do you feel like is a good I think that's where the rotations rotations come in, like when you do your rotations in med school and you rotate through different specialities, um, that's where I got a sense of where, which direction I want to go into. And, you know, it's like, it's like, you know, you, you're, you, you got to listen to yourself. And uh, one of the most important things that I, I tell uh, my medical students is um, to pick a specialty. It's not so important to do what you like but it's very important to know what you do not like. So let's say that there is a certain speciality that you rotated in that you don't like, make sure that, you know, you highlight that in your mind and make sure you do not do that. Because what I'm saying sounds very simple and very, you know, intuitive, but a lot of times we end up going into medicine, whereas, you know, our mind wasn't 100% into it and we kind of knew that you don't want to go into medicine, but you kind of go into it because you think it's an easy lifestyle and that'll make one miserable. So very important in anything, any decision in life, obviously know what you want to do, but make sure that you know what you do not want to do and highlight that and make sure you don't end up doing what you don't want to do. I hope that makes sense. That is, yeah, that's really good. Kind of worded around the conversation, but... Kind yeah, no, I totally understand. I feel like a lot of high schoolers are very set on what they want to do. And like you said, they don't really realize what they shouldn't do or what they exactly. are not Exactly, exactly. I think you hit the nail. Uh, uh, a lot of us are so focused on what we like that we kind of forget what we do not like. And in our zeal, 
to achieve what we like we end up doing you know what we don't like and that that's a recipe for disaster right and so what do you th- what skills do you think helped in the field uh, in this field so basically a person needs to have three things they need to have a mental iq they need to have an emotional iq and they need to be good communicators so these are the three skills that are immensely important uh, for success in this specialty so by emotional iq i mean uh, a physician should have uh, empathy as well as compassion you know kind of feel the pain the patient or the patient's family is going through try to put yourself in their shoes and and kind of be empathetic and have a lot of compassion and that's to in my mind is emotional iq mental iq is obviously intelligence uh, one needs to be uh, having the the one, one needs to be knowledgeable uh, one needs to you know have the knowledge uh, read up on papers uh, read up on books uh, constantly update your knowledge and that's your mental iq you know like uh, the way you build up your mental iq in medicine and third is basically uh, as as i had mentioned before a very important attribute in any physician is communication um, a physician needs to have clear communication skills with the patients because you have to win the trust of the patients because they they are basically uh, you know putting their their lives in front of you so that you can do something to their body and if you don't have the trust uh, research has actually shown that the outcomes are poor and uh, that's where you, you can be uh, you know very good uh, you can be highly you can have a high emotional iq and you can have a high mental iq but if you are not able to communicate clearly to the patient then all that can be a waste Uh, because the patient doesn't feel confident as to you know what's what's going to happen to him or what are the risk consequences what are the expectations and communication as uh, i feel is something which is ignored uh, a lot of times in our med school where uh, you pretty much know should know how to communicate uh, respectfully and properly to the patient and be direct and not obfuscate the facts right yeah i feel like you've hit the nail on the three core skills that you would have to need you know, mental iq emotional iq and communication those are things that kind of seem obvious but also are difficult to improve on for someone going to medicine so you really have to put in your time and you really have to like you said and i like what you said about not having god complexes you really need to understand the patient more than you uh more than anything and also understand yourself and what you can handle like you said and yep these all seem like universal traits and kind of playing off of that do you feel like medicine is a very universal field do you feel like every country has the same sort of idea of what to do inside a specific field so basically medicine is is pretty much the same you know you can use maybe in in, in the western countries we are fortunate enough to use more advanced techniques but medicine on the whole is pretty universal all over the world what does differ is uh, patients expectations and uh, insurances which uh, unfortunately play a big part in you know in how you treat patients so um, it would be at this point you know i can uh, i can say that i can go anywhere in the world and treat uh, vascular patients but uh, 
it's it's very different uh, uh, in in other countries because of the you know social cultural norms and everything but yeah pretty much medicine is universal all over right and do you feel like if you do have experience with this do you feel like coming a learning medicine uh, becoming a doctor in one country and transitioning to another is it a more difficult process what would one might want to expect in a process like that if you have experience uh i beg your pardon can you repeat the question so let's say you become a doctor in one country and you want to practice in a different country is there a specific process to that because i know while doing my college apps so i'm a i'm go ahead sorry now i'm just saying like i know while doing my college apps i'll know that uh they don't necessarily want me to become a doctor in the eu because there's a whole another practice and coming back to the usa is a much more difficult process and stuff like that basically i'm a foreign medical graduate i did my uh my medicine from uh from new delhi and uh, thereafter i did all my post graduation studies uh, here in the us um so essentially uh the training is the same but uh, if you go to a us uh, med school your chances of picking the specialty of your choice is obviously easier versus if you are a foreign medical graduate because you know people uh, out here everything is more standardized and you know you can pretty much compare uh, two candidates uh, fairly uh, in a in a fairly decent way whereas if somebody's from some other country they have different you know methods to score and it kind of gets a bit tricky uh, but that being said uh, i know a lot of foreign medical grads who who become deans of med schools and all that stuff so i hope that answers your question yeah yeah and this is i'm going to wrap up the podcast here because we did do a lot and i feel like you gave a very insightful uh like process of what someone should expect going into surgery and not just um vascular surgeon but any uh type of surgeon and i liked how you added and made people realize that you only do surgery 10 to 20% uh in your uh work life and that's really something that many people might not expect to uh do and they might have expected it to be more like 80 cuz surgery the, sur- the surgery aspect of surgeon is what people feel like is the biggest and most important part yes this is great okay yeah thank you for coming to this podcast all right thank you vikram you have a good day yeah you too